So uh, I love having friends all over the country. And whenever I have friends who move different places, I always tell them, don't ever invite me because I really will pull up on you. And I'll bring my wife and my kids and my kids will tear up your house. Uh, but one of my friends invited us to his place in Charlotte. And Charlotte's actually a pretty dope city. And we went to the National Whitewater Rafting Center in Charlotte. And they had like uh, the whitewater rafting, which is pretty cool. And they also had zip lining. Now, I've been zip lining a bunch of times. Most of the time, it's in some sort of city uh, landscape where it's not too high. But the one in Charlotte is like, it's pretty intense. Uh, you climb up like 10 stories. And by the time you get to the top, you're out of breath. Your legs are on fire. And when you look down, it makes you reconsider your decision. Now, when I was going uh, zip lining there that day in Charlotte, uh, I'll never forget the person who was like attaching everybody to the ropes was like some 15 year old kid, like literally checking his Snapchat in between connecting people. And I'm walking up to the front of the line thinking to myself, like, what if this kid just like doesn't connect me correctly? Like, what if he's mad that his Instagram post didn't get enough likes and he just like skips a, a step with me? So when it got to be my turn, like I kept on asking him, like, bro, are you sure I'm connected? Because when you look down and you see all the trees and the rocks, you know that your life and death, your life depends on your attachment. You know that your life depends on you being actually connected. It doesn't matter if you think you're connected. It doesn't matter if he had all the intentions to connect you. Literally, your life is hanging in the balance of whether or not you are actually connected. Now, being 100 feet above rocks and trees, about to go zip lining, uh, it's pretty easy to know that you are dependent, right? Like you're not gonna make it down safely unless you are actually tethered to something that's strong and durable and can carry you through. Now, one of the great dilemmas of my spiritual life is that all throughout the Bible, it tells me that I'm dependent. It tells me that I will never make it safely from this side to the next unless I'm connected to something more powerful than I am that can safely guide me through. Now, one of the challenges for me is that when I think about this concept of dependence and me being dependent on God, it's something that I, like, I really do want that to be a part of my life. Like I would love to feel more dependent. And when you look at scripture, all of the metaphors that you see are these pictures, these images of us, everybody being described in these really dependent ways. So there's one scripture in Jeremiah 18 and another one in Isaiah 64, where it describes all of us as, as clay and God is the potter. Now, this is a, a really good picture of God's care for us, that God has a purpose and a plan for us. But here's the thing. Clay is formless without the hands of a skilled potter to form and to shape it. The clay does not contribute to its formation. The clay doesn't do anything. It is completely dependent on a skilled potter to form it and to, to make it. In other places in scripture, we are called um, the branches. And Jesus says that he is a vine and we are the branches. In John 15, uh, one of the most famous passages of scripture, Jesus says that unless we are connected to him, we can do nothing. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I don't have a green thumb um, my wife has to take care of all the plants in our house because if you let me take care of it, everything will die. Uh, I overwater everything. But I do know this. I, I know this much. 
like unless the plant is connected to the source, unless a branch is connected to the source, it's going to die immediately. Jesus says that you and I are like branches and he is the vine. He is the life-giving source. And what does that make us? That makes us really, really dependent. In other places in scripture, it says that we are sheep and Jesus is a shepherd. My boy, Rich Perez, a couple of weeks ago, talked about uh, Psalm 23 in this beautiful scripture. Uh, in John 10, Jesus calls us his sheep. Now, sheep know and respond to the shepherd's voice because he cares, protects, and provides for us. Now, a lot of us, we lose the value of, of what it means to be a sheep because we're pretty removed from pastures uh, living in New York City. But it is a, an image, a metaphor of completely dependent people. If you remove the shepherd, the sheep will die. Now, one of my favorite metaphors in scripture is that we are his children. And this is a beautiful image of what it means to be in relationship to God in Romans 8 and 17 and Galatians 4 and in so many other places in scripture. We see the picture of this two-way relationship that God has with his people, that God cares for us. And for us to uh, be in relationship with him, we need to know that God is committed to us in, in that way. But here's the thing about uh, children and about kids, whether it's a biological parent, an adoptive parent, a foster parent, or some caring and concerned adults, kids need to be parented in order to thrive. Like there are no bad kids, but there is bad parenting. Um, and so much of my life when I was working in family court, I saw the results of, of ch children who were really steered in the wrong direction uh, not because they didn't really have the parenting that they needed. Children are, are dependent on their parents. Now, one of the th beautiful things about this metaphor of, of uh, God being our father is, man, I'm, and I'm just realizing this in my life now, like God doesn't parent us in, in just like through discipline. Now, discipline is an important part of parenting. And there are scriptures that say that God disciplines those who he loves. But I actually think that what God does in our life is much bigger and better as he cares for us as, as his children, that God speaks life into, into us, that God tells us that we're safe and that we're valuable and that we really matter to him and that he's protecting us and that he's with us. And God, I think, in his parenting of us, encourages, encourages us um, in so many different ways. Um, and encouragement and affirmation is a huge, huge thing if we wanna grow and be connected to God and to really grow into our potential. So this past year, my five-year-old son, soon to be six, uh, is um, in hybrid school, which means some days he's online, some days he is in person. My wife and I may or may not cry tears of joy when we kick him out, I mean, uh, take him to school in the morning for in-person learning. Uh, he loves it, his teacher loves it, and certainly we are grateful for that as well. Uh, but there are times when we're online and it's a challenge to say the very least. But there was one day where he did exceptionally well. Uh, my mother came by my house. My mom's has been vaccinated, so we've welcomed her back into our fold. And she came by our place to uh, help out that day. And my mother, if you've ever met her, she has the gift, and I'm not saying this flippantly, the spiritual gift of encouragement. Like to spend 10 minutes around my mother, you walk away just feeling better about yourself. And at the end of um, when I left to go uh, to some meetings, um, Jameson, my, my, my five-year-old was with my mother. And, you know, even walking out the door, I just heard her like hyping him up, throwing a battery in his back and truly like affirming him. And that day when I got home from all my meetings, his teacher texted and I got a little nervous when I see the text come up from his teacher. 
to say that this was the single greatest day Jamison has ever had. Like he was acing every question. He was so dialed in. And it was all because of this affirmation that my mother was, was giving him. And I, and I learned a huge part about parenting, a huge part about myself in, in so many different ways that a lot of who I am as a person is based on that, not just being disciplined, but also being affirmed. So all of these metaphors in life, uh, whether we are, uh, it talks about us being clay, us being the branch, us being sheep, or us being children, it all boils down to us being completely dependent on God. Now, that is a hard reality to make it from our heads to our hearts. For us to live, for you to live joyfully, willingly dependent on God. We don't like dependence for a number of reasons. Um, one, I think, is nurture. The other one is nature. The nurture reason is basically what has happened to us in our lives. We can all think of situations where we had to depend on someone and they failed us, especially someone over us, a teacher, a parent, pastor, you name it. And in the end, since there was something that we wanted and we didn't get it, we just kind of retreat to ourselves, and it makes us more resistant to be dependent on people. And the other one is just our good old fashioned nature, hardwired into our DNA. You know what you and I would love more than anything else? Autonomy. Uh, the dictionary defines autonomy almost in this way of as a self legislator, the power or the right to act and to speak and to think as you want without hindrance or restraint. Basically, you get to do whatever you want to do. And we see this in our earliest four parents, Adam and Eve. The biggest temptation for them was autonomy. God blessed them and gave them everything, gave them free reign of everything, but gave them one limitation. The enemy comes in, the devil comes in and tempts them by saying, by making them doubt whether or not God had their best, his best intentions in mind for them because there was one thing that they could not do. And that if they were to eat of this fruit, that their eyes would become enlightened and they would be like God, being able to do whatever they wanted to do. And they ate the fruit and sin. Now, I think a lot of us are like that. We, we would love to be able to act and to direct and to move in whatever way that we want. So what this does to us in, our, in, our, in the real world is that no matter what we say out of our mouths, no matter what Christian cliches you would utter, it leaves us in a a really complex situation. On one hand, scripture is replete with this concept over and over and over again, telling us that we are dependent and yet we live and desire to live independently from God. I heard this one quote that the goal of life is to move from dependence as a child to independence back to dependence on Christ. Now, fortunately for us, there is a scripture in the book of Exodus, which I think is a really wonderful account and it shows us what it looks like for God's people to wrestle with this concept of dependence and independence. Now, we've been out of the book of Exodus for a couple of weeks. So let me catch everybody up on what we've been talking about. Um, the book of Exodus, we're going to pick up in chapter 16. Uh, the children of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And through God's power and his strength, he freed them. And now they are free, but they are wandering around in the wilderness. Now, even though they're free, they are uh, living in tents and they are uh, unsettled. And all this while, they have this nagging suspicion in their mind and they're struggling to trust in God. They're struggling to be dependent on God for their daily survival. Now, 
there's so many scriptures in the Bible, like Matthew 4, for example, where Jesus is talking to some people and he says, man does not live by bread alone. He's being tempted. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every single word that comes out of the mouth of God. Basically, what Jesus says is a very clear principle you see in that scripture and so many others. If you want to live, if you want to survive, you need to depend on God. Now, here's the beauty of the story in Exodus we're going to dig into. Uh, we talked about this a couple of uh, weeks ago when we first started, a couple months ago now. Uh, the New Testament gives us so many different principles, like man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. But the Old Testament gives us illustrations. It gives us stories. It gives us accounts where we see people struggling to trust and to actually live based on what God tells them. So we have a left brain and a right brain. I don't know which one is which because I got D's in science, but I do know one is for principles and one is for our imagination. And we need both of these things in order to fully come alive and to be able to understand everything, right? So I can go to a chalkboard and describe gravity, um, but it's a different thing to take a pen and to drop it on the ground. We would understand it so much better. So we're in Exodus 16, and this is how it starts off. In the first couple of verses, it says, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in, e in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of oxtails and ate all the bread we wanted. It just says meat, it doesn't say oxtails. And ate all the bread that we wanted. Instead, Moses, you brought us into this wilderness to make everybody, this whole assembly, die of hunger. Now, what was going on here in this text? Uh, the children of Israel were being faced with an unannounced, unexplained test of their willingness to trust God and to trust that God would provide for them. How many of you have ever had an unannounced and uh, unsolicited and unexplained test in your life to trust in God? Exactly what God was saying, despite what you were seeing and experiencing. It's a daunting thing to face. Now, their newness of the situation of being without food in a new location with the pain of hunger in their stomachs, uh, it made them be pessimistic and really caused them to complain and to grumble. But here's what we see in verse four. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for just that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they will bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So here's what God is calling them to do. And by extension, here's what God is calling us to do. To rely on him every single day. To rely on him for their, their survival. To be completely dependent on him. Now, I don't want you to miss the importance of what's happening here in verses four and five. There is not enough bread for them to stack up for a month. Later in the chapter, in verse 20, some people say, yo, I don't care what Moses is talking about. We're going to stack up enough food for the next day and to give us a, a little stash. And it says that worms got all in the food and it stank and it was nasty. Uh, God really wanted them to depend on him every single day. An older author by the name of C.S. Lewis, he explains it like this. He says, God gave them just enough bread for each day because... Relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. In other words, us being dependent on God 
that clock starts over every single day. Every day, it is a brand new effort. Every day, it is a brand new commitment to commit our lives and to trust God and to live willingly and joyfully dependent on him. Now, this is what Jesus is referring to in the Lord's Prayer. If you've ever prayed that prayer, give us this day, this day, our daily bread. Jesus is referring here to the scripture in Exodus 16. And there's a, an immense parallel to our spiritual lives. Um, and this day-by-day -day dependence of the children of Israel was not just for a couple of weeks. It wasn't just for a couple of months. It wasn't a phase. As we see at the, at the bottom of the chapter in Exodus 16, it says, the Israelites ate manna, the same meal, for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. Now, oftentimes in scripture, this concept of the wilderness is really a picture of our human experience. What this means for us is that what God is calling us to do is to not be dependent for a week or a month or to be dependent on God just until you get what you want from him, but rather that the entirety of our existence here on earth will be lived with a day-by-day -day dependence on him. Now, for some of us uh, watching right now, what you need is actually something very, very tangible and maybe it is actually bread um, or, or food or, or groceries. And if that's you, and if you live in the New York City area, here's what I want you to do. I want you to email grace at renaissancenyc.com. And that's grace, like the concept, not the person. Uh, and one of our deacons will reach out to you because we would love to bless you and walk alongside you to help you get some groceries. But for others of us, this story in Exodus puts flesh on a principle we see in the New Testament and all throughout the Bible, and it's God's call to us to depend on him, as well as our struggle to actually live that out. Now, I want us to touch on five things briefly, uh, different areas that I think God is calling us to depend on him in. And I hope, I hope all five of these things make their way from your, your head to your heart, and all five might not be for you, but I really hope a couple of them really resonate for you. And here's what I want us to do this week. We're going to be referencing a couple of scriptures, and what I want you to do is to meditate on whatever scripture correlates to the point that touches you, right? So if something hits home, I want you to meditate on the scripture, and I don't want you just to type it on your iPhone. Um, I want you to get a pen and a paper, a good old-fashioned pen and paper, and I want you to write it down because there is something about the way we memorize things by actually writing it down with our hands. And in the morning when you wake up, before you check Instagram, I'll be checking I want you to read through that scripture. When you're on the bodega waiting in line for your bacon, egg, and cheese, I want you to take that scripture out of your pocket or out of your purse, and I want you to read it. And I want you to several times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, even if you took it out during mealtime, and I want you to rehearse the scripture because this process of meditating on a scripture will actually make dependence in your life possible. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to uh, look at is I think God calls us to, God calls us to depend on his wisdom. And here's a declaration that I want all of us saying over our lives. I depend on God's wisdom, not my own. I depend, even if you don't believe it, I depend on God's wisdom, not my own. I depend on God's wisdom, not my gut feeling. I depend on God's wisdom, not what my friends are saying. I depend on God's wisdom, not what culture tells me to do. I depend on God's wisdom, not, what, not based on what happened last year or what I think is going to happen going forward. I depend on God's wisdom, not my own. The scripture for meditation is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And here's what 
the author says, and it's a, a often quoted scripture, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely, do not rely on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Every day, we have to make a conscious decision to rely not on our own wisdom, but on God's. To make this choice, to say this to ourselves, and then head to scripture and hear God's wisdom for your life. Now, the second thing I want us relying on God for, to be dependent on God for, is God's strength. I depend on God's strength, not mine. This is a difficult one for me because there's so many times in my life, I think more than anything, what I'm fearful of is being weak or uh, being like uh, walked over and to be powerless and to not be able to do things and to have to depend on God's strength in my life to not be able to change situations is actually pretty terrifying for me. But there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians written by a name, man named Paul. And Paul really reverses the way that I normally see this concept of strength and, and weakness. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians um, 12. He says, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But here's what God says to Paul, and here's what he tells us. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, God's power, is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Here's what Paul says. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The paradox that Paul presents to us here is that the more weak we are, or the more apparently weak we are, the more strong we are. And why is that? Because when we are aware of our weakness, we go to God, the source of our strength. And if this one is for you, that you need to depend on God's strength, not your own, not your own pseudo strength, which is not really a strength at all. I want you meditating on this passage from 2 Corinthians 12. Now, this third one is going to uh, is a big one. And don't throw anything at the TV if you're watching us on, on YouTube. It's your TV anyway. If you break it, you bought it. Uh, but I depend on God's timing, not mine. I depend on God's timing, not mine. Here's what you have to believe in order to do that, in order to truly be dependent on God. We have to believe what we see all throughout Scripture is that while we are waiting, God is working. While you're waiting, while you're praying, while you're anticipating God to do something in your life, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever that is, God is working. There's a scripture where Jesus says, my father is always working. So since God is always working, we don't need to, to, to doubt that. Uh, scripture is full of these stories. Um, and I once heard a preacher say that the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Now, I know the pain of having taken things into my own hands, moved ahead of God, and it never, ever, ever turns out well. And truly, the only thing worse than uh, waiting on God is looking back and wishing that you did have, that you did actually wait on God. Now, this is a huge one because so many of us struggle with unmet expectations for our lives. And the more you rehearse 
Um, the scripture that I'm about to read to you in Psalm 31 and 14, it says, but I trust in you, Lord. And I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Now, if timing is a big thing for you, I want you writing the scripture down and I want you rehearsing it every single day. I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Now, the fourth one is that I depend on God's resources, not my own. For a lot of us who struggle with um, generosity, for example, we start to think that if we had more, we would be more generous. But I mean, that's not the way it works <laughs> at all. If you struggle with a little bit, if you struggle giving when you have a little bit, you're definitely not going to be given if you had a whole lot. Um, and that it, it's all rooted in our inability sometimes to truly trust, uh, to not live in a scarcity mentality, and to trust that we can depend on God's resources, not our own. A lot of us live with this fear that we have to hoard what is in front of us because there will not be enough for us on the end if we follow God, if we're generous with our resources. If this is for you and you need to depend on God's resources in your life and not your own, I want you meditating on Philippians 4, 19. It says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God, you are with me. There's no need to worry. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, if he clothes the grass of the field like this, which is here one day and gone the next, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of, of little faith? Now, the last one is for everybody, and it's what makes Christianity what it is in its, in its very essence, and it's, and it's this statement right here. I will depend on God's righteousness, not my own. Now, here is the, the beauty of Christianity. Here's what truly makes it spectacular. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what Christ has done. Now, the word gospel literally means an announcement. It's an announcement, not of what you must do, but rather what, what Christ has done on our behalf. And the entirety of the story on scripture is not a bunch of rules that you need to do in order to somehow make yourself acceptable to God, but rather people who have been ransomed by Jesus and realize what Jesus has done on their behalf and live lives in devotion and gratitude to him, not to pay him back, but just simply living in gratitude for what God has done for us. Now, there's this beautiful scripture in Ephesians 1, which if you read through it too quickly, like it doesn't really sound exciting at all. It's Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, and it says this, and this is why we can so greatly depend on God for his righteousness in our life, not our own. It says, God predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Now, a lot of times you can read through the scripture and it really doesn't make too much sense. What does it mean to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ? Now, what is the scripture talking about? When we, when we read through this through a modern lens, we really miss out on what the author was talking about to his crowd. So this is written to the Ephesian church in Ephesus, which, is, which was an ancient Roman city uh, in ancient Greece. So modern adoption is like way different than ancient adoption. Like modern adoption, people adopt for compassionate reasons. And adoption is incredible. It's one of the most 
beautiful things we can do as people, as Christians. My wife and I have talked about this. This is an ongoing conversation in our household. But what we think about when we think about adoption is not what they would have heard. They would not have heard of adoption as this like compassionate thing that God was doing. People did not adopt for compassionate reasons. You adopted for economic reasons. Now, in Ephesus, what was going on was that there was a principle in their economy called the paterfamilias, meaning that the way their economy was structured was that there was one head of household who owned the entire estate. Growing up, the head of household in my house, my dad got to eat you know, the big piece of chicken and got to you know, sit in his favorite chair in the living room. But in ancient Greece, the head of household would have literally owned the entire estate uh, from not just his family, but also extended family. So if a paterfamilias did not have a male heir to pass everything down to, what they would do is they would adopt. And this adoptee would now become next in line to be the new paterfamilias and he would be the head of the household and would be inheriting the entire estate. So when Paul is saying that God predestined us to be adopted as sons, he's speaking to Greek people in their language and their custom and explaining to them that once upon a time, you had no inheritance. Once upon a time, you were alienated. You had nothing good coming to you. But based on not what you have done, but based on what Christ has done, he has earned you an inheritance of an entire estate of righteousness, even though you did absolutely nothing to earn it. Essentially, we are all spiritual trust fund babies, and we can depend not on our righteousness, not on what we have done, but what on, on what Christ has done. And this is why Paul says this later in the chapter. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is what? A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The entire Christian religion is not based on what you have done. It's based on what Christ has done. And he has made us all heirs to receive his righteousness on our behalf. For those of you who are Christian, man, I want you taking that truth to heart this week. I want you meditating on these scriptures, whether it's Ephesians 1 or any of the other scriptures that we talked about, the proclamations of our dependence on, on God. And for those of you who maybe you've never made that step in your faith journey, maybe you've always thought Christianity was about what you needed to do, man, we would love to walk, walk alongside you. One of our pastors would love to reach out to you and walk with you on your journey and what it means for you to take steps closer to God in faith. And you can fill out a box in the connection card or you can text Harlem to 94000 and someone will follow up with you. So let me pray for us before we close today's message and head to worship. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that this week, um, God, we would just be meditating on your scriptures that push us closer towards dependence and pull us away from complaining and grumbling. Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves in the proper light, not as independent creatures, but as you have called us to be dependent and relying on you. So God, give us the strength to rely on you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.